Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1163, with guest Brian Hunter. Recorded Thursday, June 18th, 2015. Hey, guess what? It's Carl and Richard. We're back at NDC.NET Rocks. This is uh, us in the fishbowl. Yeah. In Oslo, Norway. I love being in the People Aquarium. I love it. <laughs> we got lots of, uh, of uh, listeners coming in and saying hi and yeah. having a little chat. It's fun. And it, just in case you're ever, you're, you're ever here and you see us and we're not recording, just come on in and yeah. say hi. It's really we, you, we, usually when we're not recording, doors open. Yep. The doors open, they'll let you in. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Uh, more in the continuing series of C-sharp gotchas. Let's ah, roll yes. the music and I'll give you another one. All right, dude, break my heart. All right. So this is from a thread that I found on Stack Overflow, and yep. it was a very popular thread. Point to it at tinyurl.com slash csgotchas. And how it works is somebody said, you know, what are the worst gotchas in C-sharp? Yeah. You know, your, 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 your hatreds. <laughs> Should I say that right? Favorite hated gotchas. Yeah. yeah, the worst ones. Things that make you sad. Things that make you sad. So th- that's what I've been doing the whole time I've been here at NDC. This is another one, uh, which is about the contract on stream.read. Hmm. So you have a byte array. Let's say it's eight bytes. Yep. And you pass it in uh, to read, stream.read. Pass in the byte array and the second parameters, the start byte to start reading into zero, usually if you want to start at the beginning of the array, and then the length, eight. Now, you might think that that means it's going to read eight bytes Obviously. into the array. Well, it could, <laughs> but it may also read less. Okay, but not more. But not more. Right. Yeah. And read returns the number of bytes that it has actually read. Oh, which is useful, but if you're expecting eight, surprise. Surprise. <laughs> so, so many people just say read and then let it go at that. You're going to have a bug later on sometime when it can't read and you have to wait. Right. You have to do something else. So there is a, uh, a workaround, which is to simply write your own sort of read abstraction that goes into a, a while loop. And make sure that all of those bytes have been read. Right. But you've got to do a little bit of work yourself. You've got you to wait for it. You've got to own it. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, it's an interesting gotcha. It's one that I've been dealing with for a long time. But I've, I've got one of those methods that I use for yeah. streams. Exactly. To for make that sure your reason. bytes actually show up. Yeah. All right. Good. There you go. Good one. So Noah Learn to Love It. Richard, love who it, is, love it. who's talking to us hey, today? I grabbed a comment off a of show, uh, 1007. Which we did at NDC back in uh, uh, June of last year when the uh, the panel discussion of why do you develop software and that's Robert Verding who's one of the mm-hmm. original Erlang guys yep, yep. the amazing Steve Sanderson Vanket Subramaniam and mm-hmm. Anthony Eden our friend from DN Simple right. that was the panel and Nicholas Baring had this great comment which I just was I, it amused me because just the language applications right okay. talking about development and there's a lot of different language discussion going on there right mm-hmm. Sanderson was all about uh, knockout JS and, right. and JavaScript as development, Robert in, in the Erlang space and so on. The Nicholas Barron says, hey, the one thumb programming topic, because we actually talked about this, you know, simplifying program to the point where you do it on a phone or that right. kind of thing. With your thumb. That's right. Uh, brought up at the end of the episode immediately made me think of Scratch. 
a project yep. out of MIT. For I've kids. actually used the underlying technology adapted to another application. I purchased a wireless sensor system for the maple syrup industry. Oh, neat. That uses an Android device as the collection point. The creators use Scratch or some variation of it to allow users to program against events from the sensor system. Say, for example, when the temperature outside drops below zero Celsius, mm-hmm. it could shut off the vacuum pump, which is attached to the same wireless network. Scratch uses puzzle pieces that are basically the equivalent of keywords in other programming languages, and you connect the pieces together to build your program logic. That's pretty neat. And it's very kid-friendly. Like, yep. We've seen a lot of things applied to Scratch. I'll include the, the link to the, the Scratch site if you ever want to take a look at this. It just speaks to this diversity of language we're seeing these days. Yeah, it's funny that uh, how a kid's programming language could be the model for programming languages in the future. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and, and it totally makes sense to me that we could possibly end up there. Mm. Uh, you know, that, well, plus the, the energy around getting a younger generation involved in programming these days is so huge. Yeah. And, uh, and to the point where it's affecting tools. I love what's happening over with, um, with Minecraft. You know, they finally showed off the HoloLens version right. of Minecraft. And right. it's all about getting kids more engaged in that space. Absolutely. So, uh, Nicholas, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social medias because we use them. Shows are posted to Google Plus and Facebook every time we publish. And if you comment there, we could send you a mug. Absolutely. And you can always tweet us. I'm at Carl Franklin and he's at Rich Campbell. So uh, don't be shy. Just go right ahead. Uh, that brings us to Brian Hunter. He is a partner at Firefly Logic, the founder of Nashville Functional Programmers, and a Microsoft MVP. Brian is obsessed with lean functional programming and CQRS, among other things. Hmm. Hi, Brian. Hello. Welcome Hello. back, man. Hey, last, thanks. Last time we talked to you, we were in London. <laughs> we were. Good old London. Jolly you, London. And you, you tipped us onto Elixir. Blew We've our done minds. It, and we picked up another Elixir show here in, at NDC in Oslo. Awesome. It's... Um, it, yeah, it, it, that was uh, so. Chris McCord is that, that Chris? Because, McCord, yeah. Chris uh, he said he came off of it. and He's like, "That was fun." <laughs> and so Everybody seems surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had no idea what to expect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I gave him a sense of how many people listen to your show, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did that after we recorded." Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, Phoenix sounds really amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. Uh, one thing, just to wind back off of that, I had no idea uh, we were going to be coming in with a comment at the mm-hmm. beginning, but uh, it made me think of something that I've uh, been up to for a few years that kind of ties in with FP. Uh, uh, There's a thing called Geek Harvest that we piloted at uh, Nash.net, hmm. so the .NET user group in Nashville, right. like three, four years ago. And But Geek Harvest, uh, geekharvest.org, it, all it is is a one-pager, mm-hmm. uh, and it explains a program that user groups, if you're a .NET user group, your, uh, you know, whatever user group. It right. doesn't really matter. It's not technology specific. But uh, it's a program where you can add in over the summer your user group where you bring kids into the group. So parents uh, or big brother, big sisters, that sort of thing. You right. just bring in, uh, uh, you know, youngsters into the user group over the summer and work out some project you're going to, you're going to, code together over the summer. <laughs> and then the group, the only thing that the group has to do is they reserve their September meeting. Hmm where they have a section of the meeting or the whole meeting for uh, these, these team presentations, these show-and-tells between the parent and the kid or the big brother, big sister and the nice. kid. That's so great. And so, uh, you know, so it's so easy for any group to do, and this is mm-hmm. a great place to get the word out. Uh, awesome. w- this is one of the things we talked... Uh, so recently I went up to the White House for the White House meetup thing, and this is one of the, you know, what I was up there to talk about to the different user groups up there. And so, uh, you know, they, they were, you know, they're really interested in this whole... Uh, process of getting technology out to people that uh, you know to, to bring people in that are on the outside of it, and so yeah. one of the things about the women in tech issue is is we we don't have as many young girls getting into it where, you know, they, they'll come in later and then you have all the gender bias and stuff after people become jerks whenever mm. they hit puberty and right. all this. But if, if they're, if they're into it as much as anything that. else, yeah. you, you, you beat that and then uh, you, 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 get, you get girls into this. And so my right. girls, I have three. Yeah. And, um, and so they're uh, going through Erlang now. Right. <laughs> so, That's awesome. You know, they use Erlang, Erlang every day. Wow. Uh, uh, it's part of their ritual. They good have, for them. <laughs> and good you know, for you, too. Another show awesome. that's got really strong 
kid mojo these days is that conference in Wisconsin Dells. Oh, yeah, that yeah, conference. Yeah, yeah. Runs, and they yeah. literally call it that conference. Yeah, and yeah. It runs, I've been up there. Uh, August it's, 10 to 12. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go again. They oh, good. accepted my session. I always do the internet safety talk. You know, I've done that for years and mm-hmm. years. And uh, these days, it's mostly just chatting with parents about, especially parents of geeks, mm-hmm. about yeah. what can we do to, to, to have a confidence in what our kids are doing on the internet. But... Um, sort of an emergent force. I mean, they've always had, they modeled themselves after Code Mash, so there's always been sort of the Kids Mash part. Right. But one of the things that's been happening, I think, even more at that conference is kids have been doing sessions, 10, 10 to 12-year-olds, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And getting some real confidence on stage and that they really know some things. And, and it's been a real mix of, you know, it's, it's girls and boys, but it, it, it's exciting to me. Like Clark mm-hmm. Sell, who's, I think, mm-hmm. one of the range driving forces behind that show, I think it, this, that's affecting him more than all of the regular conference mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. that we could grow a new generation of, of not only developers, but, but speakers, the people that really contribute to the community as well. So I think it's vitally important to get kids involved, in, and you can, do, you can do it yourself, anybody who's listening, just by going to your local middle schools and high schools and volunteering to Absolutely. Do, do a talk. And it doesn't, it, here's the thing, a talk at a high school isn't a talk at a conference like TechEd. Mm. You've got to drop way back. I, I did this uh, last year with my daughter's middle school, and I just did a session which you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't think of as an interesting session. But sure. How did the internet come to be? You know, just on the internet, and kids were just amazed. They had no idea where the what the origins of the internet was, and they thought it was Flappy Birds. You know, mm. <laughs> so so I showed them, and the the biggest hit for the whole year was Google Earth. Mm-hmm. When I took, you know, when everybody wanted to see their houses on Google Earth, you know, yeah. give me an address, I plug it in, it zooms from you know outer space into their house. And, you know, it just go crazy for that. Hmm. Love it. It's such a good idea. It's a very powerful visual way to illustrate what the Internet does. Um, anyway, and one more aside before we actually get going on this <laughs> conversation. My uncle does maple sugaring no in kidding. New York. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. Yeah, he probably doesn't anymore because he's retired. But uh, he, for years, huh. had, you know, he's got like 60 acres of maple trees, lives at the bottom of a mountain. And he has tubes running into his uh, wood-fired boiler, nice, which is outside. And we get you know a half gallon of syrup every year for Christmas, and uh, it always it has a smoky flavor to it. Mm. Interesting, because it's wood-fired. It's wood-fired. Yeah. It's really, really delicious. That's really cool. I like that maple sugar. All, All right. right, yeah. All the stuff we're passionate about. Well, the last show we did, we, not the last show, but the show before that was all the community stuff as yeah, well. I mean, it's yeah, a big so part this, of your life. This is kind of comes back. Uh, uh, you know, funny enough, uh, this it, it, here at NDC Oslo, uh, I think today, uh, the Lightning Talks, Sean Trelford. So you had Phil Trelford on mm-hmm. the show talking yep. about compilers, uh, showed 1074. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so Phil's like big F-sharp heavy hitter, just yep. an amazing guy. Smart, smart, smart. And... Uh, but he, his his boy is here, a nine year old, and he's speaking here at NDC. Yeah, uh, NDC wow. he came by to say hi yeah. earlier. Yeah, so I just wanted to pitch that one out there too. And he's talking about F sharp. So nine year old talking about F sharp. My nine year old, seven year olds, five year olds, they're fumbling around with with Erlang, with, with Erlang and uh, and so uh, you know if you know there's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it functional to the core. Yeah, so. I saw you doing a talk on lean functional and thought, is that, you know, are you just being redundant? Isn't functional inherently lean? Uh, well, that's, uh, you, already, you, you already have it in your head. I because, took the whole talk but, out in one sentence. Uh-oh. Yeah, no, no, that's, uh, you, you nailed it. Because a, a lot of people, so I, the first time I ever spoke at a conference, mm-hmm. uh, I was, you know, I don't, I don't really enjoy speaking. It's like, it sort of terrifies me. And oh, I, yeah. Like I'm, uh, like until you've seen me at conferences when my talk wasn't yet. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of a basket case, I'm you know. Leave, we leave you alone. Yeah. And, and you know. <laughs> I see a smell of fear and all that. And so I'm not really good at this whole thing, but I've been doing a lot of it. And it's because of, uh, it, it, these are things that I really think are important that, yeah. that people know about. And uh, you've always lived with your heart on stage, right? Like these yeah. are your passions. I, I get that. And, and so, um, one of these has been, um, has been lean from 92. So, uh, when I was undergrad, um, uh, I, so 90 to 94 was when I was an undergrad. Mm-hmm. And it was management information systems. And I um, had a professor 
so in MIS, you straddle a fence where you're half business and half computer science, yeah, yeah. And, and you get respect from no one. <laughs> and, so, and, uh, and so, uh, so I, I was, uh, you know, so I was in that camp, and one of the business business professors, a uh, fellow at Tennessee Tech uh, named uh, uh, Bob Bell, uh, was a big fan of W. Edwards Deming. And, ah, Deming. And and so he he conveyed that passion, and, and as he would talk about quality, and he would talk about finding the problem uh, at the source, and and on and on. Like these, as the semester went on, I was like, I I really like this, mm-hmm. you know. This and it and it and it became this thing that I I put on like a coat, you know. And I, I it felt like. I want to work in a company that embraces this. I want to, and, and, and it felt important in the context of software. And I would talk to the software, you know, professors in, in software engineering, and they didn't care about any of these things. It wasn't on their radar. They, like, they were Funny. like, yeah, I don't know what, that's that business stuff. And, and, and so, and I went into programming, and I almost felt like I would screwed up because I had this other path of going and working in operations at a factory right. and, and actually being able to use, you know, to where people Deming actually every day. cared about you know, lean, they cared about uh, TQM, they cared about quality and continuous improvement. And so, uh, you know, I didn't hear a thing about it in software up until, and and I just sort of got tired of even mentioning these concepts. Until 2002 was the first time anyone uh, was out, and you had the people from Snowbird, the agile people, and they were talking about, you know, so Uncle Bob and so on, they're talking about quality, they're talking about all these concepts. And when I got a chance to finally meet some of those folks, none of them actually realize they didn't know about dimming yeah. hmm. and and so it was the zeitgeist at that time it was in yeah. the air no we, you know but you know dimming had died in 93 so all these people they were it was it was in one group of people's head and they were talking about these ideas and they somehow made it those same ideas made it into agile the problem with agile though is is it was growing up inside of the kind of oo Right. And so, so they were trying to bring quality in, and they were trying to make the software development process easier. But all the people that were working and the people who were in that movement were working with tools that had defects in the product itself. So OO is defective. And so you have to actually go to that root cause. And so part of why there was so much needed in Agile and why all this diligence is required is because you're working with materials that are shoddy. Right. And so this was... Um, when, when you really utilize your traditional forms of OO, you create troubled software. Now, you, you say shoddy, but I know what you mean. You have to build up um, frameworks of objects and collections and things and, and stuff before you actually get to the process, which uh, in functional programming, I suppose, is more building block approached is it am i wrong uh, there not, well that's not exactly what i mean I'm, I'm thinking more at the at the raw material sort of the basic parts of of what you get whenever you come into uh oo so oo is based on mutating state and statefulness yeah and it's all state and we mutate state and if you look at what functional is about functional is about taking inputs and returning you know outputs and so right. you transform inputs into outputs and so these these basic fundamental things at the at the base of it are they, they they come up from that and they they ripple up and so um, one thing to actually maybe understand is uh, you could go it from other side you could say systems that are out there running for years and years with no downtime and you can see it from that side yep. and, and figure out like how is this system the running forever the story of hey, the, yeah, how, the, how is durability the, of telco <laughs> how can this thing handle you know uh, you know million uh, 80 billion messages a day and you've got these systems that run forever and all this and how, how can they do that whenever other systems are just falling down on top of themselves with just right. a handful of users and so you can come at it from that side or you could come at it from the other of the foundations and these basic principles and how you build up but you end up at the same spot and, and it's, and it's and to defend OO, that choice was made in the 80s because it utilized hardware better. You know, the, the thing that was good about OO in that, at that time frame was we only had one core, we had a limited amount of, mem- about of memory, and OO tended to be very memory efficient. You know, when you go to an immutable model where you're making copies of things routinely, it ate a lot more resources that we were much more constrained on back then. You know, the, the trade-off is when the process, number of processors went up and the amount of RAM went up, the weakness of OO, the mutabilities, became this huge liability. But I, I appreciate that we made a good choice at the time with the resource we had. It's just that we've moved on. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't really even understand how it happened, uh, <laughs> really. Uh, I, 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 like, I, that's, that's an explanation for it. And, and I, that one makes me feel better than I really feel about it. Because yeah. I, 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 like, I, don't, I honestly do not believe in the idea that we made a bad choice. That See, at the it's time, that's what was necessary. That assessment seems that's, a little weird to me, that, that it was a, about constraints. It was about modeling. And, and also, I think that object-oriented programs from the beginning used more memory and had more, were more susceptible to memory leaks because of the state. And that when we got more processors and more memory, a lot of the emphasis that was put on you know, trying to conserve memory by disposing and finalizing and all those things... Um, you know, wasn't as critical because we had more memory to absorb all those errors of, you know, lapses in judgment. And, you know, in the ASP net side, they came out with the way to recycle the website if memory grew, you know. But you are talking you know, but decades after that decision had been oh, made. Oh, sure. By that point, we were now seeing the weaknesses. Yeah. Right? In the early days when we were that resource, like, you didn't leak memory because you failed. Almost immediately, we were so constrained in those early days. Our but, systems were a lot simpler. Our, we did not have this multi-threading behavior. There was no concept of doing that when mm-hmm. object orientation was vogue. That wasn't the problem we were needing to solve. <laughs> you, you think back, though, I mean, like, the, this is a, a part that was in the talk. And so I think a lot of things in the talk... Uh, 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 so I give a talk here at, at uh, NDC Oslo, uh, Lean and Functional Programming, and I think it was filled with a lot of surprises for people. It was filled with histories that people mm-hmm. didn't know. And, and then on top of the histories, then we talk about these technical details that, that, uh, that go in, and it's like, you know, you, so you, you create this foundation. But, but just on OO itself, um, you know, so Alan Kay, um, you know, absolutely brilliant. Yep. And one of my heroes, and he is the person that coined the term object-oriented. Right. And he describes OO, and that is not what we have today. We yeah. don't have what he explained. So he described, so his idea of OO was he's, he was modeling it after the idea of bi- biological cells. Mm-hmm. And so his primary thing was to say you have these biological cells, and the important parts are they, these, these, these things, these objects, these cells, they talk to each other through message passing. Right. Sounds like the actor's model. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he talks about message passing, and he's talking about uh, the way you would have this local retention and protection of data. You know, so he, he really wanted to get rid of data was right. the thing. He wanted to have this thing isolated off, and he wanted to get rid of data. And then it had this late binding. And so this really late binding of all things. And those yes. are these sort of tenant things. And you think about, like, what that sounds like. And mm-hmm. it sounds just like Erlang. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. I mean, this, is, this doesn't sound like Java. This doesn't sound like C Sharp no. or any, you know. It Although, all of those are later incarnations. Like, yeah. When I talk about, when I think in terms of original O, I think of languages like Eiffel. Small talk. Right. And, they, you know, that was the beginning. These, those morphed. Yeah. Right. I mean, one of the reasons I think OO took off is C++. Right, is that the language that a lot of developers understood, we added tooling on top of that, and now you were object-oriented. Okay, <laughs> right. Yes. right? But, you know, I don't want to get mired in the history lesson in yeah. that sense. I just, I hate to leave, we made a mistake with OO sitting there, just because I, you know, having lived through a lot of that, mm-hmm. I think we made good decisions at the time with the constraints that we worked in, and those constraints changed. And, you know, the, there's a laggard effect of it's hard right. to break out right. of what has worked yeah, for a long time. There's definitely the laggard effect. Sure. Yes. Uh, but now we're fighting it, yeah. you know, and, and seeing new opportunities. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify, which fully integrates application performance management with error and log management in one platform. Capture performance issues as they happen without having to wait for them to reoccur. A cost-effective and lightweight agent provides you code-level insights. So try Stackify now for free and get your copy of the hilarious Developers Against Humanity card game once you activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to get your free game. Okay, I had to pay the bills there, but uh, <laughs> we're talking to Brian Hunter, and uh, we're talking about lean, and specifically functional lean, and I'm looking at the, the principles of lean here on the source of all truth, which is Wikipedia. Right. Uh, eliminate waste, amplify learning, decide as late as possible, deliver as fast as possible, empower the team, build quality in, and see the whole, W-H-O-L-E, and, you know... I know that those things could be applied to any software, OO, functional, or the otherwise, but I guess what you're saying is that these are just inherently 
they they inherently happen when you're when you're functional. Is this well, your argument essentially? Yeah, this part is part of it, and so uh, so. It, it might be useful to have a little bit of a history lesson on lean. And this is one of the big surprises that I, I think a lot of people don't know this history. And it's, it's, uh, it, it, I believe it's really important. And okay. um, so lean wasn't this Japanese creation no. that, that grew out. So this, this happened really off of, so you could, well, maybe you could say that because it really kicked off at Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so okay. in that way, you could say, uh, so at the point that, uh, and then uh, 41, when uh, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and, and that finally brought the U.S. into World War II, then you had a real problem that, was, that needed to be solved. And that was that you had all of the people that had been staffing factories at that time being deployed to go fight in Europe and the Pacific. At the same time, we needed to make more stuff than we'd ever made before. And so, yeah. so uh, you know, it's a real hard spot to be in. And so at that point, women came into the workforce uh, in really a big f- way. In a big way. Yeah. And so you've got Rosie the Riveter. Yeah. And, yep. uh, and you had factories retooling for a different kind of material they were making. And, and it wasn't just different. They had to make a lot of stuff. Yes. So before World War II, you had the U.S. was making like 3,000 airplanes a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the end of the war, they'd produced 300,000 airplanes. Right. And, and it wasn't a 100-year war. So. And it wasn't a 100-year <laughs> war. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you had this workforce that had never, uh, you know, they didn't have training in any of this. And so the way that we went at that problem is we, we went at it untraditionally. So before we'd had Frederick Taylor and Henry Ford and this yeah. way of mass production. And it was like, we, we'll figure out how to do it, and we'll tell the, the beasts that are working in the, the machines, we'll tell them how, what to do and how to do it and what right. size shovel to use and all this. And it right. was this micromanaging of all these things. Yeah. people as cogs. And, and so with TWI, training within industry, was this program that, that was created to help ramp up the effort. And, and so th- this group, TWI, they, they started through all of these experiments. Uh, so they... One of the things they did is they first came up with the idea of job instruction. And so this was like, we identified this job, and so we're going to have a mentor sit. So it's like pair programming here. Right, yeah. we got someone sitting with the person walking them through the steps until they sort of get it. And then the next thing that would happen after that was a thing called job methods. Uh, and job methods were like, okay, here's the steps. We want you to challenge this thing. We don't want you to follow this. We want you to find if there's something wrong about this process or something changes over time about this process. And step three, the why doesn't make sense anymore. Right. So this wasn't mm. just the what you do. This is the what you do, the how you do it, and the why you do it. Right. And if you can improve this, then great. We'll set up a little proof. And so they would go through this plan, do, check, act cycle. So this is based off the scientific method of like you set up a hypothesis. Yeah. Right. You see, you then do experiment your experiment, and then you study the results. And if it was good, you then act on those results. And so or you the went acting, back and redesigned. Yeah, or or it was like that was a that was a failed experiment. We learned yeah. some things, and we have a uh, we maybe need to take another go at it. Yep. Or but so. What they would do then is off of that act, what the act was is we're going to implement a standard then. This is now the way to do this job. Right. And at that point, it would trickle, it would go up, and then trickle down to other leaf-level groups that were doing that similar kind of work. Mm, right. And so you had this, this process happening where, uh, you know, like these, this 1.6 million, you know, uh, workforce that was working uh, in, in TWI, you had this massively parallel distributed continuous improvement program going on. And, you know, by the end of the war, you had, uh, like at Willow Run, one plant, you had a B-24 bomber rolling off the line every 55 minutes. Yeah. And at that point, you know, it's just like inevitable. I mean, there's no way that but Axis that, can win. They, they've crumbled under that. They just could not out- deal with it. And the Liberty ships coming out of New Jersey every 24 hours. Like yeah, just, yeah. It's, you're uh, doing what? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's just stunning what happened. But then, but then what happened is, you know, we win, and all the boys come back. Right. They go back into the factories. The factories, they go back to doing the things they were doing, and all these women were displaced. All the people that had this knowledge. Right. They're displaced, and they go, and this knowledge was lost. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so we, we then stick our, go back to what they were doing. And we stick our big uh, foam number one finger on and wag it around at the world, and, mm. you know, and, you know, and, and, and this complacency sort of sets in. Right. Uh, and, and so you know, we, we didn't have to really be good after that because the rest of the world was destroyed, and we could make whatever, and, yeah. and everyone had to buy it because they, they, were, they didn't have anything. I mean, yeah, the whole yeah. world is a wreck. And so 
at that time, though, so TWI shut down the doors. It was closed. It was gone. Uh, it left the factories, and everything went back to business as usual, and the knowledge was lost. But there was one group uh, that was funded by uh, uh, the U.S. government, uh, the T- TWI Foundation, and they sent them over to Europe and to Japan right. for the, the reconstruction. Douglas MacArthur mm-hmm. got Deming. And, to help and, rebuild Japan. And, and, and so during the Reconstruction, so you have Deming goes over in 1950, uh, giving lectures, and people from Toyota are there, other industrial leaders, and that was the beginning of it. Right. Which then America yeah. re-imports. Decades later. Decades later. <laughs> Detroit's getting just pummeled, you know, and everyone's talking about the Japanese miracle, and, right. and no one knows this history. And yeah. so, so that's the foundation of, of, of part of Lean. And uh, another part of it is, so that's, that's the idea of the continuous improvement, the plan, right. do, check, act, the standard work. And of course, you know, we, we, this is a thing that all software companies really need to be thinking about is you can't actually have improvement unless you have a standard. And so right. the idea of standards seemed kind of boring at first because you, and it's like, ah, oh, it's going to be a, it's a just bureaucratic sort of thing that's going to hold me down. But the, the thing with a standard is a standard has to be this living document because yeah. it's yeah. not continuous improvement unless it changes. Yes. But also changes an improvement unless it actually makes things better. And so uh, what you do is you go through a series of changes and once you've said that change is actually better, it becomes then the standard that becomes the baseline and you build off of that and so instead of having a series of changes that are just like a shotgun map <laughs> yeah. you, have, you have this <laughs> progression that happens and, and it, it's interesting that <laughs> it seems like so much development culture is anti standardization yes it, just because we come up with a new way it's like no I like my way it's just been done wrong is the problem people don't see this they don't they see the standard as this and, and a lot of companies treat it this way the standard is this thing that once we set it we can we can carve this thing in stone and it never changes and it never changes yeah. and that's that's the most awful thing in the world well, I mean I one of the parts of this is this you remember those early days of doing development where when you finally got it to run you didn't want to touch it again mm. you know they say it was enough that it worked at all not that it worked well yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and that keeps showing up when you talk about methods of development. It's like, no, no, I have a way that works. I don't need one that's (laughs) better. The the thing that, uh, when you first said uh, at the beginning where you're talking about, so isn't that redundant? You know, the lean, and I I think that that's really interesting that you came to that, because I and I think you, you nailed it because you, you, you know enough, of, you know about both. Yeah. I mean, you, you knew about both of these paths and you, you saw that connection. A lot of folks don't see it, but there's, there's one thing in, in Lean. And so people that have a background in Lean, I think they would have been suspicious of the title of the talk if they didn't know about FP. And, and right. Because one of the things uh, that, that's sort of dangerous about the topic is there's a, a, a real... Th- concern in lean that you, you do not try to solve, you, you don't adopt, you, your path to lean isn't around technical solutions. No. You don't technically solve, you know, you don't buy some technology and, and all of a sudden you're doing lean then. And uh, technical solutions tend to be uh, uh, traps. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, again, the way you go through and you adopt any technology is you... Uh, you go through that plan, do, check, act cycle. And it has yeah. to go through that, you know, you have to run it through the gauntlet. It has to actually be proven. And most technologies can't, can't survive that. Right. You know, you have these sort of marketing-driven, hype-driven technologies. And so what we, as an industry, we have a continuous series of changes, but we don't have continuous improvement. We're still in the same rotten boat that we were before because <laughs> the vendors are shoving things at us and we're buying them and it seems exciting and we hear a thing at a conference and all this. But they haven't went through that, that rigorous Validation. proof. Yeah, yeah, we don't have these series of proofs. And, yeah. so, um, and so that's, uh, that's one part of it that, that I... I I'm tickled to see these things together because as people do that work and they go through the proofs, Lean, uh, Lean says you have to go through these proofs and functional programming can survive that because there's substance there. It's not a marketing-driven, hype-driven thing. This is just a set of principles where the foundations leave you in a safer place. So where does object-oriented programming not live up to that? And yeah. why, is it, why yeah. is it not as Lean? So... so there's a one of my favorite things in Lean. Uh, so there's a series of tools in Lean. Um, you know, you'll hear of different uh, different tools. There's these, but a lot of the tools are around reducing waste or moving towards one piece flow, or you know, having pull systems or moving towards one piece flow. So one of the tools, though, uh, around the idea of of uh, Jadoka, or uh, it's basically. Uh, Acting on abnormality is what that uh, that whole pillar is about. Right. There's a there's a a tool called the Pokeyoke, 
The and, Pokeyoke. And it's fun to say. Sounds and, like a Japanese cartoon. And, 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 but the Pokeyoke, it, it's, this is the most grown-up thing that we do. Uh, so Pokeyokes are all about mistake-proofing. Okay. So if you see uh, something where a tragedy could happen, and you can put in some sort of mechanism if a mistake is made to keep it from being tragic. You know, it's okay. like, so an uh, example so, you yeah, know is like a pass, parking garage. You pass a parameter and check if it's null, for example. Yeah, well, well, not exactly. <laughs> so, so because that requires diligence. And so this is the thing about a Pokeyoke. Uh, so uh, you, you think of the most common one you see is you go into a parking garage and there's that little plastic beam that's hanging down at seven right, feet. Right. And you drive in in your big van and you bump it and you go, whew, Got I'm it. glad I didn't drive down into that thing and get my van stuck. Right. I and gotcha. so, so that's a Pokeyoke. It's a mistake proofing. And, and you see these all in manufacturing, you know, to keep all sorts of terrible mistakes from happening. You see them in code too. And so places where we'd see them in code that we're used to, you'd manage memory, you could say, as a Pokeyoke. You forget to free, well, you, before you had memory leaks. Right. And so now we've got this Pokeyoke. It doesn't require diligence. Right. Got and it. so this is the, the thing, is there, there, uh, there are a lot of frameworks, a lot of technologies that require you to be a craftsman. Yeah. You know, they, they you require diligence. Diligent. So this is, what, this is what the whole Agile, you know, this is the path there of like, of going and teaching, uh, teaching craft and all this and teaching the way to do these processes and you have the clean code movement that comes out of that right. and all, all this. And, so the and fact it's good. that you would have, uh, you know, but, uh, immutable types by default would be a Pokeyoke. Well, that's absolutely a good one, yes. Yeah, and so, so this, this idea of immutability at the base, uh, like one way of thinking about like mutation and immutability would be so it, it just like kind of close your eyes and, and imagine this world where you're living in where where theft so stealing things isn't just illegal but it's physically impossible to do right you, you, you can't steal it's in, it's a thing that can't be done and just think about start walking through your life and your day about what would change. And so we just heard a minute ago about a fellow who lost his lost Apple charger supply. because someone yeah. stole it. Uh, so first of all, you probably wouldn't have locks on your doors. You probably right. wouldn't have locks because right. you wouldn't have keys and you'd never lock your keys necessary. in your car. So it and, seems to and me so these all are, these things would go away. These so are you, things that happen on the front of the process, not something that cleans up a mess yes, that's already occurred. Yes. And, and, yeah. Exactly. And so, so you think about another thing, like you go to a park with your kids, you, 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 know, you go with the park and your kids and there's the person that smiles over at you and you're thinking creep. You know, right. <laughs> you think you're always on guard. Everyone is an enemy. Everyone's a danger when right. you bring your kids out, yeah. and you're thinking they're going to kidnap. You know, this is you know, and so there, it, it, it's a terrible thing that you have this idea of theft and, and this. So just, if that's, just if that's impossible, aside, you know, that's an Americanism, right? <laughs> you really don't feel that way in Canada, and we're just next well. door. <laughs> oh my God, the pretension in this room is driving me crazy. Well. And, and, and so, so. That's like mutability there. Right. So you, you get to this place where th this whole type of crime cannot happen. And so there's all sorts of things that you can then be more trusting because you, you don't have to be on guard all the time. And so, in, oh, if you forget to make something read-only or you forget, you know, so you, you've got to think about every method call that you're calling into right. yeah. in OO. It's like, uh, I have a class. Uh, I am about to call into a method. What's going to happen to me? Right. And yeah. so you, do, you have to have all these checks. It's like, has the method already been called? Was something passed on a constructor? Right, right, Is there right. another thread potentially accessing this thing yeah, at the same time? Do I need to block? Yeah, you exactly. Know. And I it's awful. Any and so you have to think it. about the entire environment. Is right. the problem. So this is the Joe Armstrong quote uh, where he's like, the problem with OO is you ask OO for a banana... And instead, you get the gorilla holding the banana in the whole jungle. And, and that, that, you know, <laughs> That's pretty great. Because you stick your arm in there, and you might just get it torn off because you don't, don't know, know what's behind it. I just one and, and so if you, yeah. And uh, even if you have the code, you don't know what's going to happen because the world is shifting underneath, and you've got these things that you, you can't manage, really. Yeah. You, can, you can try to wrap it down. You can try to protect. But there's so much effort that goes in that. And so you have that. You also have effort around things like null. And you have, you have effort around, so F-sharp protects you from, say, uh, uh, with units of measure. And you have all these things you're constantly having to be diligent about. And if you look at the principles and, and functional programming, they are really about protecting things that shouldn't be allowed are not 
possible. Right. It's not that it's just illegal to do it or right. you're a bad person because you did this or, thing. Yeah, that it's swap, the, that's going to be caught in a code review. It, it's it, that this just doesn't happen. So you think about the people that build Pokeyokes. Mm-hmm. You think about the people that do that, and those are good people. Those are people you want to work with and the people that expect diligence. So if you, if you have some guy that throws... Uh, uh, nails in the driveway, that's a bad person. Right. You have someone that picks up nails from the driveway, and that's a good person. Yeah. And you have someone that walks by and goes, eh, whatevs. And, and you know, they're, they're basically saying, uh, you know, like, you should have diligence. You shouldn't drive in there. If, right. you, know, you can see the nails. Yeah. Right, and, right, right, and, right. and that's what most of the industry is. They're like, yeah, you know, it's like those knucklehead developers. They didn't look yeah. for the nails. <laughs> and, and, and so that's the path that we've been on. And it's horrible. I mean, I don't want to live in that world. I don't live with those people. I don't want to work with those right. people. And that is not what you have over an FP. You have the, the, it's just impossible to throw nails in the driveway. You know, tires that cannot be punctured. And and so, you know, it, there are things that shouldn't be allowed just aren't possible is, is, right. is one of the things. And so that's a serious bit of stability that you have at the sure. base of this thing. And so that's the core. Like if you look at the, the lean house, like the, the things that are built up and what it sits on top of is you first have to have stability. Mm-hmm. You have to have a place where it's calm, whether you're raising a family or you're building software, <laughs> the right. thing at the bottom, you have to have this stable environment where you can continuously, you know, where you're not just jerking back and forth. Right. right? And you need at this, to have this sort of foundation, you have to have a respect for people, right? And you have to have, you know, you, you, to, to, you have to have this philosophy of where you respect people, where you care about improvement, you care about solving problems, and, and you, you have this stable environment to build on. So from, from there, you, you move on and you're able to have all these tools of continuous improvement that build up on top of that. And then from there, you then get the, the benefit of it. You get this uh, reduction in cost, this improvement in quality and improvement in lead time or, you know, uh, delivery time. Nice. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to get lean so we don't get a mean OO gorilla that rips off your bean. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's time to give away a de-experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first... Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com superhero. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Aaron Horst. Congratulations, Aaron. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Aaron Horst. (laughs) Nice. And uh, he just won the D-Experience subscription from DevExpress, a whole big pile of awesome from them. (laughs) And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And of course, Brian, we like to ask our guests if you had five grand to spend today on technology, what would you buy? I five grand. Uh, A gorilla cage. I, uh, <laughs> I, I would buy. I think fifty-seven Raspberry Pi twos. Yeah. Why fifty-seven? Because that's how many you can get for five thousand dollars. Oh, you just did the math. I just did the math. <laughs> awesome. I, I, I was like, I've heard this one before, and I, st- I scrambled He's and I did ready. my calculus. Nice. Yeah. And. Uh, and so, uh, one of the things we've uh, been doing back home uh, is uh, l- around computer science clubs in K through fours, right? And Raspberry Pi is a dandy way to start doing this. And yes, so, sure uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, with Chris McCord's show, we talked about running a web server via Erlang uh, on Raspberry on Pi's. a Raspberry Pi. Like that's yeah. a heck of a cluster. Of, yeah, and it can handle what was it? Five hundred uh, requests per, request second? per yeah. second out of a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, it's it's so. great, and so it's a great way of modeling. Yeah, and uh, you know you can set up your proofs and your experiments on on this. You can yank power. Yep. From the servers, you can disconnect yeah. networks. You yeah, can have yeah. all sorts of failures. Well, back, well, back in the yeah. day, I used to carry this roller around, roller bag full of right. computers. They were six inches by six inches by an inch and a half mm-hmm. to do exactly that demo. Here's a low balance website. I'm going to fail one of the servers. What does yep. it look like? Yeah. Now it'd be you know something you could fit in a shoebox. <laughs> right. 
the, and and TF, TSA would be even more interesting. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> they could funny. see the electronics. Yeah, the miniaturization uh, is not a feature yeah. for them. No, know? no. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> Raspberry Pi, I hadn't thought about this until just now, but it does an interesting thing on the proofs uh, uh, of code that ties back into lean and uh, in, in, it lowers the water level. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if, if people that aren't familiar with that, that term of lowering the water level, like, this is a lean concept of like when you have lots of inventory, you've yeah. got like a warehouse full of stuff and you don't have, like you can't find box a box of it. Mm-hmm. Well, there are a hundred other boxes of it, right? Right. Uh, and you can just pull one of those off. And so no one even knows that you, you lost a box of material. You know, you don't. You know, that box right. is not important. Right. But if ins- you know, but you pay for having that all that inventory. Yes. Like you have to fumble through it and you you bump through it. Yeah. And it's one of the ways. You know, so lean about reducing waste. And yep. Some of those wastes are overproduction and having inventory and these waiting right. and you know. So there's different ideas there. But one is about all the stuff. You know, having too much stuff around. Right. And so the idea is you want to remove all the stuff and you remove the waiting time and the between between who are actually getting your work done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when when you have very little inventory or you have uh, say very few requirements waiting for you or you have a or in, like a sprint is an example of inventory. You have mm-hmm. two weeks of inventory there of when you get your requirements and you begin working on the sprint. The feature that you implement at the beginning of it has no chance for anyone to really see it basically until, you know, it's not going to really matter until the sprint review two weeks later or whatever. And so that's a form of inventory. And a lot can hide. You know, you have process problems. You can have, like, people fighting with their tools and all this, and it sort of gets buried in the thing. But if you're actually looking at a release per feature, and people are humming along, and they're they're like, oh, they knocked out this, that was four hours. They knocked out this, that was two hours. And those things go to then QA and production. You have this fast flow. You've got your your continuous integration, your continuous deployment, and you've got these things rolling out where people are, you know, giving a review, automated acceptance tests. You've got all these good DevOps things on the right side. But then you've got this thing in the middle where you have this, this inventory building up, and those good DevOps things that could release things to production in like a matter of seconds after they're approved or after they have went through the checks, well, you don't get any benefit out of that because you've got two weeks of stuff accumulating here. Right. So, yeah. so we've improved that and we've got this kind of goofy system here. So, but lowering the water level would be at the point that the feature is done, you... It pushes, it, it goes. goes through review, it goes through whatever, it goes through the checks, passes the unit's test, and it's, it's out there for people to actually get value out mm. of. Right. And so that lowering the water level is, is really important. And so one of the things that happens, too, is you lower that water level when this feature's there, and, and all of a sudden someone's fighting their tools, feature you expected to take like three hours, it's all of a sudden taking a day. Right. And people are like, what happened over there? This is, and, and so people swarm the problem then because right. you see it. You see it right away. Sprint, you yeah. see it's being wrapped in a two-week buffer. And, and, and you look at the worse alternative and that's the nine-month you know, waterfall yeah. sure, thing. Right. And yeah, so, yeah. so like one of the things you, you know you've done is you have a victory and you've actually, you're moving towards the lean path is where like sprints start looking like the worst waste that you have. Sure. Mm. You know, and so that's, a, this that's sort of beautiful. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah, well, and so <laughs> and, until you're at that point, yeah. And so until you're at that point though, you won't see these defects in the process, these things where people are bumping their toes. And this is one of the places where Lean uh, kind of points at functional programming again. Sure. Because there are problems that happen in the small that aren't being, you know, the, the scrutiny isn't being placed on them. There are mm-hmm. bad things that happen all the time. It's just like, yeah, that's what my day is, you know, yeah. and, instead, and it becomes the routine error, the problem, and no one is going to the root cause here. Yeah. So, and because you, you, you set this two week wrapper around everything, you won't bother to optimize that because you've got two weeks to get it done. That's yeah. close enough. Yeah. 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 And so yeah, I get it. There are these reasons that you could fail uh, at FP and a lot of them are just about the, the way that we write software. Mm. Um, so we have these you know, overburden. If you have a company where there's too much stress and you've got this overburden that happens right. and you're jerking back and forth, you're, you're not going to have a place where you can actually implement anything that's different. And so people are like, that sounds risky. Because you know, yeah, anything sure. sounds risky. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you're at the, and the, the ironic thing is, is you've got something that would actually reduce the overburden because it would create a more stable, calm place once you went down that path. An- another thing, the culture of hiding problems is, is, is 
you know, this is common, you know, yeah. and this happens within that two-week sprint. People don't want to talk about the bad things that happen. They just want to put it behind them and move along. Yeah. And, and that I probably is going to burn you. I should be able to have some you. good news somewhere in the two-week window. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a, right. yeah, it's your chance to, like, we didn't screw up totally, you yeah. know, like, we, we got most of our features in, and you've got this sort of, uh, like, this weird pitch session yeah. almost that happens at the end of a sprint, which is not quite healthy, you know? And so, sure. so it's, still a kind it's of the estimate, performance. Right? Yeah, it's this performance that happens where you're trying to put the good face on the two weeks. And it's, it's just not right, I yeah. don't feel. And, um, and so then you, you go back and you, you see this culture of hiding problems. And, and when the problems are hidden, then managers don't have any reason to think that they need to, to support or back something that would re- improve quality right. or re- reduce delivery time. They don't, I mean, why would they be aware of that? Because the until not visible. you have mm. the pragmatist mm-hmm. in pain, right. there is no way that they're going to find the technical solution is an interesting thing to move to. Right. And so they have to understand that, that, that there's first a problem and then there's a solution right. uh, to the problem that's there. Um, and then you've got this other bit that's core we were talking about a bit ago about respect for people. And so companies, if they don't have a long-term philosophy that's more than just making profit and, that, and their long-term philosophy, they're willing to you know, give, you know, do away with profits for a while because if they can stay onto their long-term philosophy, their, their reason for being, sure. you don't have that. And you don't have... This, this belief in your process and continuously improving it, mm-hmm. well, then you're not going to have any respect for your people because you, know, you, you won't have that because you're just trying to make your buck or whatever. Right. So you, you have those other things. And then having respect for people is essential because the people are the ones, if you find people that can believe in that long-term vision, that philosophy, mm-hmm. and they can believe in the continuous improvement, this isn't headcount yeah. at that point. It's a force multiplier. You right. can have a group is. like, you know, so like the, the 12 engineers at WhatsApp that, you know, that create a $19 billion company. You have these people that can then swing hard. They right. can do more than what a bunch of headcount can do for you. Yeah. And so, uh, so mm. that respect for people uh, be- becomes a multiplier of, of all the good stuff that you're, you're working on. If you don't have it, though, you end up in these really dark spots. And I, I went into shops where uh, they, were, they were sort of intrigued by the idea of FP, but they said our employees they're, they're kind of too dumb you know or they're and, 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 it's, and, and it's just like you, you know, it's just did like you just you, say that out loud you just sort of like your shoulder well in the shoulder my shoulders would slump and they, they I mean I actually have heard that exact phrase wow. and you know they wouldn't get it they're too dumb and and it was like oh it's just the saddest thing and you, you know you just leave you don't yeah, want to work with those people no this yeah. got nothing to do with your employees it's got to do with you yeah the yeah and, you would believe that for a moment and, and so that's the most cynical and that's the mm. most dark place there sure. but you get into something that's a little bit more subtle and this is the place where okay you think about shops where javascript you know, it's out there, it's on the front end. Yep. You're using JavaScript in the browser. It makes all sorts of sense because it's your only choice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and right. so That's it's tragically important. And, and then you have the decision. It's like, okay, on the back end, you know, we've got every choice in the world of going back here. We have languages that are completely will not allow a class of problems to happen. We have yep. languages like the Erlang. We have platforms like the Erlang VM. We have things where you cannot have null reference. You can't have mutability problems. You won't have race conditions. You won't have blah, 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 you know, on and right, on. Yeah, yeah. And it's all these things. But what we're going to do instead is we're going to use JavaScript on the <laughs> server on the back end. Yeah. And the reason we're going to do that is because our people already know JavaScript. There right. you go. Right. And we don't want to have to, we don't want to train them. I mean, it's a, it's a sad thing. And it's like this completely... It's it, a, again, it, a disrespect for people. It's a disrespect for people mm-hmm. to say that they wouldn't be able to level up or we don't care enough about our employees to actually invest in them learning these things. Right. You know what I'm thinking it's, about? It's like the most cynical... I mean, so Node.js, I think, is the most cynical, dark but thing that's... That it's like a sign you know, of, of companies and it, it just makes me sad. I mean, so it sort of reminds me of, you know, what, what happened in the, the very first build, you know, where they came out with WinJS, which was hmm. if you're a JavaScript web developer, now you too can build a windows app. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you're a, a this developer or that developer, and it's, it's still sort of going on with Microsoft now, they're yeah. sort of bringing, bringing their technology and making it accessible to this language and that language and this, Tech, you know, I, technique. Instead of saying, "Well, you know, a language isn't just a language, but there's a platform underneath it, and you know, if there there are benefits to yep. uh, to doing it other ways, that maybe we should learn." 
you know, part of it, I guess, is just may, maybe folks making decisions. I, I don't think it's all malevolence. I think it's just like no, a lot of so not either. knowing. Uh, but so you, you think about these two things that we were talking about, about respect for people and the training, but then on the other side of having respect for people and then making things simpler, like on the poke right. yokes. Yeah, so, right. you know, so those are two things. So what we need is languages yeah, that have more sense of poke yokes. So this is P-O-K-A-Y-O-K-E. Yeah. And so we, we need languages that have respect for, you know, that will respect people and, and have empathy, I guess, is the thing. Right. You're develop, you want to have the people that build your tools have empathy. Before you shoot yourself in the foot, let me just put that gun away for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, yeah. In, in defense of Node, I didn't see that as the driver of Node that, okay, well, you know how to program JavaScript at the front end, program on the back end as well. I thought it was a lashback against the Swiss army knife that was the web server. Hmm. Here, let's strip it down to just the thing you need to do. Yeah. Right? Open the socket, serve the page. Right? I support gets, I support a put, like nothing more than what you actually hmm. use. That you And you build up just the blades needed and for the task. And I think the speed of it, you know, the performance of it was also very attractive. To but simple, simple, simple. Simple. Right? So it was, it felt like there was an origin in getting rid of complexity. Hmm. You know, I, I made a lot of money yep. taming IIS. Yeah. Because part of the problem with IIS is a whole bunch of stuff going on you don't know. And just yeah. dialing that down was a big yeah. deal. And then I went and looked at no one. Oh, okay, well, you started with the knob at zero <laughs> and turned it up as high as you needed to yeah. go, where I had the knob at 11 and learned to turn it down to where yeah. it needed yeah. to go. Hmm. But then the, the, the language game annoys me because it's unnecessary. It, languages are, end up not being the thing that's so much important. It's, uh, it's about the, the paradigms and the frame and. and the, the virtual machines, I feel mm-hmm. that that's where, that's where things really, uh, most languages, uh, you know, they're equivalent. You know, I mean, they're all Turing complete. all certain goals <laughs> we're trying to get to. They're, they're all equivalent at some level, and it's, it's yeah. the amount of pain you're going to deal with, the amount of, of errors that you're going to deal with, and, um, uh, you know, what the, the actual total maintenance cost of the right. thing is. And, and mm. the good thing is, is people that want to dig into to lean and go back and look at, um, they could pick up Taichi Ono. This is a father of lean. They could pick up his book on the Toyota production system. Mm-hmm. That's a really excellent book. So if you want to give your manager a book, get them the Toyota way. Yeah. Uh, and it's a nice high level thing. If you want to get a better sense of this stuff, go uh, one level deeper and that's the Taichi Ono. Um, okay. uh, and you, you'll get this deeper view. And if you want to go about the history, there are books on TWI as well. Yeah. But once you're down in that territory, you can start thinking about what tools could we have to actually make logical decisions on what languages would support us, what, what, th- what things would keep us from having defects early in the process that then guaranteed or to create defects later in the process, right. yeah. you know, that will, will cost us. You know, the, the bug that you catch on your screen at compile time uh, is, that doesn't make it to production, yes. that's a huge savings. Yeah. The, the, you know, and, or gets caught, you know, anything that doesn't make it to the customer. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. a good day. It gets more and more expensive the further it goes. further yeah, you go down yeah, that absolutely. path. Absolutely. Right? So, what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Um, wow. Um, I am... Working in, um, so Elixir, spending a lot of time in Elixir. Mm-hmm. Spent a long time, a lot of time in F Sharp. I think those are important. There's a language that I'm just getting started with uh, uh, named Idris. Okay. And uh, so, like, I've been trying to think of what my toolbox should look like for where I could solve all sorts of different problems. And I think there's a, a place in a toolbox for C. There are these low-level things you have to be able to do. I think there's a toolbox for an Erlang VM language, and I think Elixir is very productive, and yeah. it's a great one to have in that box. Right. Sure. And F Sharp is great because I deal with the Microsoft ecosystem. I do yep. systems that are in there, and it's 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 the best place to work on that kind of code. And it's also the only functional language where you can write cross-platform mobile apps. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This other yep. Idris. So those other languages. So so Erlang isn't known for its type system. Yep. Yeah, and it's not. It, that's not the poker yoke that it has. It has other poker yokes that that protect you from all sorts of problems, and it has ways of reacting to things that go bad in production with the supervisor trees and and the fault. You know the the let it crash philosophy and all that. Yep. But Idris has a thing called dependent types. And uh, this might be the first time people in the audience have heard the term. But, yeah, uh, and that's so, an interesting idea. And so, so dependent types, so, uh, it, so where functional says, 
types and functions, they're equivalent, right? You can pass a function in, uh, like higher order functions. You know, right. a, a, a function can take a string, it can take a person, and it can take a function. Yep. And it can return a function, so yeah. a higher function. So at that same level, there's the idea of saying that we have types, we have functions, and we also have values. And so what you could do is you can say at compile time that I want to make sure for this to compile that this thing has a particular value. And so an example of this would be we could pass in, have a function that says, okay, I'm, I'm about to pass in two lists or vectors. So we're about to have these two lists of things to come in. The thing I require at compile time is that these lists have the same number of things in them. Right. So that list one and list two both have 12 elements or they have 20 elements. And you, instead of this being a runtime check, it's a compile time check. And you, you define these proofs that, that prove out that the our input arguments actually meet the proof. Or so it doesn't like compile. It's a test layer, huh? Yeah, it's a test layer at compile time. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And so you just think about what sort of bugs you could reduce with this. And so it's a language that, that lives up on top of Haskell. And I've dabbled in Haskell, but I've never made the plunge right. in Haskell. This is the thing that's probably going to move me to, to actually go into Idris. To, uh, you need to learn Haskell to know Idris, uh, okay. is what I'm learning. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going from being a total noob in Haskell to, uh, you know, to, to yeah, somebody starting who's to learn really it. Yeah. In it. Yeah. Well, Brian, thanks very much. We're hey. just about out of time, but okay. I got the feeling we could talk for another couple hours. And maybe we should <laughs> we tonight yeah, over tonight, some yeah. scotch, man. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a